Right. I'm fully 1,000% bribing, trying to blackmail my parents into getting a dog when I come back to Chicago, when I go to Chicago. I'm like, you're an adult. You can't do that. You don't live with them. You can't make them get animals for you anymore. It's, it's over. It's not for me. My dad wants a little thing to take care of. Like a chihuahua. No. He wants a... They were looking at Maltipus. I don't know what that is. My, we used to have a Yorkshire Terrier named Emmy. She was such a bitch, super slutty, slept around. But, like, she died in 2016. And my parents were like, we don't need another dog, you know? like, Or my mom was like, we don't need a dog. We should take some time. We're not going to replace Emmy, which I, like, fully understand that. But now my dad just, like, really wants a dog. Oh, so you just want them to get a dog for them. Mm-hmm. I thought and you were being... Um, and yeah. for me, a little. Like, let's be honest. I would love to go home and have a little pup to play with and then, like, bye. Can't relate. You don't like dogs? No, it's not that I don't like dogs. I just don't ever want to own one. Uh, I get it. I like a dog. I like that you grow up and you have a dog. Matt likes that too. Matt grew up with dogs. I didn't grow up with dogs. I grew up with a fucking pig. But (laughs) I I said it once, I'll say it before. Weirdest family award. I love it. I love it so much. Thank you very much. My journey to a dog was tough. Here's what happened. I'm going to give you a brief outline because I don't think you know this about me. Since I was a kid, I wanted a dog. My mom was like, no, 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 you're not getting a dog. And what would happen was, is every Christmas, my mom loves to do the thing where it's like, I'm not getting you that thing, like the sparkly denim or whatever. Oh, and you always and thought it I would be it. a dog. So every Christmas, my mom would like spend all this time and energy making a beautiful Christmas. And every Christmas, I would end up in tears. However, one year... Why do people have children? The worst, says the pregnant woman. One year, this is bad. This is bad, and every Christmas it's inevitably brought up because it's fucking bad. We had the rule, don't go downstairs without your parents on Christmas, right? Okay. Right, this I'm is not a, aware of that rule, or like, but okay. Like, you, like, wait till mom and dad so they can see you, see the gifts. Like, like it was yeah. kind of like, wake everybody up. And I'm the youngest, so I would always wake up earlier than everybody. I, like, still do, and I'm like, I'm so jazzed about Christmas. Right. I fucking love it. So, like, get up. Pretty confident I was wearing, like, a sweater pajama dress with a snowman on it. I think I have the picture somewhere. Anyway, cool. I wake up and I see Beanie Babies lined up going downstairs. And I'm like, this is fucking it. Like, what could this possibly be except the fucking Beanie Baby trail to a fucking dog? And was it? So I wake up my parents, I'm like, wake up my siblings, and I go and I follow the Beanie Babies, and it ends at a pair of dog slippers. And that's, that's it. it? Oh, that's dark. <laughs> that may be the darkest thing we've ever spoken So of. dark. And my mom was like, I thought it was cute. And my sister was like, so this got so bad, it was every Christmas that my dad goes, Kathy... Do you think it's like a little child abuse that we're not getting her the fucking dog? Like, this is bad. So It's not. But one Christmas, I revolted. I got a karaoke machine, and I said, please return it. 
and I returned all of my gifts. And I said, I will use this money towards a dog. And I said, I'm going to get straight A's. Oh, like it's your fucking choice. You're a monster. And I fucking wait. If we got the dog, we finally, my mom was like, okay, we wanted a Yorkie with floppy ears. And so finally, we, my mom went, found it in the classified section. I remember we got her this little leopard bed and I paid like half the money to get the dog. And I was so happy. And Emmy became like a really important part of our lives. Like she was my dad when he was sick, like Emmy would protect him and like, because she's a little Yorkie, this little shit seven-pound dog, but they're watchdogs. When we picked her up, it was like, beware of dog. And we're like, ha, 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 very funny. She's a little Yorkshire Terrier. And they're like, no, we have Dobermans, too. And we're like, oh, shit, do they get along? And they're like, yes, they're both watchdogs. Very funny. But Emmy, like, protected my dad. And my dad and Emmy became, like, the best of friends. And my dad's, like, a big guy from Chicago with this little shit dog. And they loved each other so much. It's very sweet. And so I want I want that for them. I want that for them, and I want it for me so I can go and play with the pup. So you're just reprising your role. It's a role. I, I, the peop, give the people what they want. And Is that what they want? I, I think subconsciously my dad does. Mom's on the fence. The beanie baby to the dog slippers is really Well, the, the beanie thing. baby thing reminds me of a story. Well, it reminds me of a time I went to Cape Cod with a group of friends, and... Uh, it was actually to visit uh, a family that wasn't mine, one of my friend's families. A <laughs> family that wasn't mine. That's such a weird way to say that. <laughs> family, not mine, I believe. None of them were very a familiar. A family that wasn't mine. No, I say it because I was the only one there, not family. When I say I went with a group of friends, my friends were two sisters, one of the sisters' husbands, and I am legitimately friends with all those people, right. but they're all in the same family, and we were going to stay on the Cape with his family so you and were his the, brother. Gotcha. So everyone was friends, but everyone was related except me. Gotcha. Okay. So it's... You went with the family that's a little not weird. yours. Okay. Um, right. And I have <laughs> trouble pooping sometimes. Not anymore, but I used to have trouble pooping on vacation with... with right. uh, Yes. Yeah. You have foreign bathrooms and also... Um, not a bunch just, of people. Also, your hours get mixed up. Traveling affects it. Yeah, it's a thing. So I used to have uh, trouble with that. Uh, now I can really poop anywhere, anytime. But um, I let them know as, you know, I, I'm mm-hmm. an oversharer. And I was sort of like, I haven't pooped since we've been here. And it was a couple days in. Oh, you must have been in a foul mood. Well, I was just like, uh, let everyone know what's going on because you never know. Yeah. And, at one point, I, like, stood up during one of the meals and had that look, I think, in my eye that was like, this could be good. <laughs> this could happen for me. And I left to go poop. And I went in one of the upstairs bathrooms to get some privacy. And I did it. I pooped. And Did you get ice cream? When I <laughs> <laughs> And when I walked out of the bathroom... They had taken all the stuffed animals in the house from the kids' rooms and lined them up like theater seats. So they were all, so I was greeted by like all these stuffed animals sitting outside the bathroom looking up at me. That's no person, incredible. but it was really nice. I like opened the door and I felt like I had like this round of applause it was like a little a big bit. Clap. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what your Beanie Baby story conjured for me. Unrelated, but not, for some reason not, that's not what. Not dissimilar. It's where it took me. Not dissimilar. I love that for you. I feel like. Now that I've had a bidet attachment, I can't, I have a really hard time. I really don't enjoy pooping elsewhere. 
Oh, Claude turned bidet. on the bidet the other day. He was he's sitting on the potty to pee, and he doesn't. I don't know why he that never noticed it before. It scared the shit back into him. <laughs> he turned it on, and I was in the other room, and he just started screaming. And I was like, "What's going on in there?" I walk in, and he's standing on his little stairs that go up to the potty, and water's just shooting out <laughs> of the toilet. <laughs> Oh, God, it was terrible. And I turned it off, and now he's always, for a while after that, he was like, you've got to be in here with me, and you have to hold my hand so I don't accidentally turn anything on. I mean, it was only a matter of time. Those knobs, kids love to dirt shit. I don't know why shit. I didn't think of it. I mean, it's so great, Clean. but you start to see why the, the Europeans keep it uh, at, a, at a separate station. I never understood that. Truth be told, I I never under. How does that work? It's inconvenient, but you certainly don't have a toddler traumatizing themselves by accident. But what? How do you use the bidet and the other attachment? Like I don't, I don't know. I don't actually know either. Right? I like will go to foreign countries and I'm like I should try this out and I'm like, where do you sit? They, where do it has you that sit? Thin, it's the do you thin fill ring, it right? up like a tub and just stick your whole ass in it? That doesn't seem clean at all. That doesn't seem clean at all at all. If you're French, if you're... If Belgium, you're do they if, do that there? I don't know where they do it. Wherever you have a bidet that's separate from the toilet bowl... Talk to us. We want to understand. Us, tell us how We're that works. We're here to learn. Do you know actually... You know what? I'm going to research it, and that's going to be the learn page please. this week. This is my favorite little piece of information, though. Tell me. About a bidet. Do you know why Americans don't use bidets? Tell me. It is because... When soldiers were in Europe during World War One and World War Two, they would visit brothels and they would visit women and have sex with them. And after sex, women would then use the bidet to clean themselves out. Yeah. So men assumed it was a birth control or to prevent STDs as opposed to just being clean. And so because they were all puritanical and hypocrites, they came back to the U.S. being like, don't use a bidet. That's birth control and for STDs and you women don't need them. <laughs> what dummies. What assholes, too. I mean, <laughs> pun intended, but like what dicks. I didn't like know you're, that. Because they're puritanical assholes, we, the United States has been so far behind on bidets. And I am I gifted to everyone. We're there now. We're there. I just sent it to my friend who, because I couldn't make their engagement party. I sent them a bidet. Great gift. Great gift. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It sure does. And speaking of which, you're listening to Truly Darkly Creepy. I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Carrie Epima. And your ears are here, so we might as well share with garbage. a story. My story I'm really excited about today because I think it's the first oh, of its God. kind of our stories, which oh, I always goodness. love opening the door to the possibilities of new ventures in the truly darkly creepily world. I'm intrigued and excited and you should ready be. to kick back. I did relax. not look up how to say this person's name. Damn it. So I and I think it's one of those things where like we're here, it's done, move on. I got this information from BBC News, Wikipedia, Snopes, fact checking, um, dusty old thing. Cute. <laughs> also the name of my vagina. Um, CNN, Vice, History Daily. <laughs> <laughs> My vagina is not a dusty old thing. I talked about how I use a bidet. Relax. Okay, so this is about this woman, Julianne. How would you say this name? K O E P K E. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to say Cupkey. Like okay. Krupkey, because we love uh, a little West Side Story. Krupkey. 
crop you. Okay, so Julian kept cupkey. Hmm. Kepki? Hmm. Koepki? Koepki. Sure. Julianne Kuepke was born in Peru in 1954. However, both of her parents were German, which is why I have a hard time pronouncing that name. To our German listeners, I'm so sorry. Her parents both worked for um, the Museum of Natural History in Lima, Peru. You heard of it? Um, Her father's a biologist, and her mother is an ornithologist. Do you know what that is? Uh, No. Me neither. I should have looked it up. Wait, I'll look it up. I feel like it has to do with noses. I want to. No, I think ornithologist is a bird. See beaks. Yes, I was right. Okay, a person who studies or is an expert on boids. Okay, boids. So her parents obviously are like German, studying in Peru. The rainforest is there. It's there. Incredible. Have you, I'm setting the scene. Yeah, okay? no, I'm there. I feel At it. 14, it's they, humid in here. It's well, suddenly, hot, like, And I hear birds. We should put in a soundtrack for this story. Caw, caw. <laughs> <laughs> or just do our usual fully art. <laughs> oh, God. Beautiful. Leaves. Through That's the trees. leaves rustling. That's nice. I know. That was very good. Okay, so at 14... <laughs> oh, are we done? Sorry. I was just ducking. Oh. <laughs> Hold on. Dang bugs. Got it. We love a foley in this household. When she's 14, they leave Lima, Peru, and they go to a research station in the Amazon rainforest. You heard of it? <laughs> And we've hit it. (laughs) That's what rock bottom sounds like, folks. (laughs) Okay, so she she goes with her parents. She's 14 years old. She's in the middle of the fucking Amazon. She's kind of like a jungle child. Her dad is, like, teaching her how to live in the rainforest, figuring everything out, doing all this cool shit. However, because education is pretty strict... They were like, eh, I feel like you're not getting the best education out here in the middle of nowhere while your parents are studying birds and biology. So we're going to need you to come back to Lima and go to your German school here. Um, And so she was like, okay, fine. So she goes back to her German school and she graduates in December 1971. She's 17 years old. I, maybe she's smart. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe that's just the school system in Lima, Peru, a German school. We don't know. <laughs> okay, fair. So her mother wanted them to return to the research station like a couple days earlier for Chris, for, like earlier than Christmas Eve. But Julianne, she was graduating high school. There was a dance she wanted to go to, and she wanted to walk her graduation. So her and her mother agreed that they would leave on Christmas Eve during the day so they can make it to Christmas and hang out with their dad in the middle of the Amazon rainforest. I mean, can you imagine the greenery? (laughs) Bye. So when they were scheduling their flights for December 24th, everything was all booked. So the only flight that was really available was this flight, Lansa Flight 508. However, this flight, this airline, did not have a great reputation. And mm-hmm. so much so that their dad, who was back in the Amazon rainforest, was like, don't take that flight. They're not a good airline. Okay. Um, but they were like, what's Ugh. their snacks like? 
they said they got a sandwich halfway through. What? And there was candy, but oh, this is the old days. It was the old. It was in the seventies. People were living like kings up there. You were getting like steak and lobster up in the sky. Totally. Okay. And it's and this was sandwich, so I think this was probably like subpar. So anyway, so that's the only flight. So they go to the airport, and I guess their flight was delayed like seven hours, which wasn't. Which unheard wasn't of. abnormal. Okay. It That's prob- terrible. It also okay. still isn't unheard of, let's be honest. No. Um, but their flight was delayed seven hours. When the flight came, when the airplane came, it, like, looked new. It looked fine. So mother and daughter. <laughs> super clean. <laughs> super clean. People were into it. So mom and daughter go in. They end up sitting in the second to last row. Julianne got the window seat and her mother sat next to her. So they take off. It's like an hour, hour and a half flight from Lima to where they're going. And everything is going fine. They serve sandwiches halfway through. And Julianne notices something is going wrong in the plane. There's, like, a lot of turbulence. And her mom is, like, a little freaked out and holds her hand. And Julianne talks about how she's not a scared flyer. Like, she yeah. she really it doesn't bother her. And so then they started to roll into, like, dark clouds and they started to fly into a crazy thunderstorm and what happened was is like the turbulence is getting worse and worse people started it got so bad that the luggage started falling out of the lockers people started screaming and crying and were really afraid Mm -hmm. her mom and her just held hands and they didn't really say anything and it got so bad where a lightning bolt hit the side of the wing. It busted the motor, the engine. Her mother looked at her and she said, this is the end. It's all over. Whoa. The plane is struck by lightning. It was described as it disintegrated in the air. It took a huge nosedive and it plummeted to the ground. Oh, no. Julianne says she her she remembers what her mother said that's the last thing she heard her mother say she said she felt a place of peace in a way where like she all she could hear was nothing and wind whipping past her face and she felt herself falling down from two miles two miles two miles holy shit i can't even imagine She sees the top of the trees, and she said they look like broccoli. She's plummeting, plummeting. She blacks out. It's cool your body does that. They're like, you gotta protect you. You gotta leave. Let's protect you. (laughs) Yeah, you don't need to see this. Crashes at one thirty in the afternoon on Christmas Eve. She was strapped into her seat as it hurled to the ground, and she talked about how her head was over her feet. But again, she blacked out. She comes to at 9 a.m. the next day. She's still strapped into her seat. And she survived. In her seat. Did it, like, cushion her fall, you think? What they think is, and again, there's, like, not much information we have about it. But, like, she was still attached to her row. Her mom and the person sitting next to them were ripped out of their seats. But she had all three seats with her and they think that maybe she spun and it was like a helicopter or something and it might have slowed her down or there was enough like surface area that it became a parachute and then there was a bunch of 
thick foliage. Also, it was a thunderstorm, so there was a perhaps an updraft that was coming up and potentially oh, an slowed her down. But again, she hit some trees. So, like I said, she wakes up at 9 a.m. and she, like, takes some inventory of her condition. Her watch still works. That's how you know she woke up at 9 a.m. Her watch still worked. Whoa. She had a broken collarbone, a gash to her left leg and her right arm. Her one eye was swollen shut. Did find out later she tore her ACL. She had a partially fractured shin. One of her shoes was missing. She was nearsighted, but her, so her glasses were gone, so she didn't have any glasses. And she had a strained vertebrae. Um, she was wearing a mini dress and white sandals at the Ooh, time. not what you want to be wearing in this situation. So her first Folks, wear a sweatsuit whenever you get on that airplane. Wear a sweatsuit. So her first instinct, obviously, is to call for her mother. And so she's looking for her mother. She says she spent about a day looking for her mother, and she finds nothing around her. She doesn't see anyone. She sees no bodies, nothing. When it rains, she, like, turned the seat over, and she used the seat as some protection because she's in the rainforest. When she realizes she can't find her mom, she knows she needs to get help. She needs to find a way out of this situation. So like I said before, when she was in the Amazon forest with her family, and she was kind of this jungle girl, her dad kind of taught her some things that will save her life. Oh, thank God. So what she does is she finds running water, and she wades in it downstream because she's missing a shoe and she doesn't have her glasses so she can't see so she's using her one shoed foot to go in front of her and like tap in front of her to make sure she's not going to step on a snake or anything right and so she starts wading closer to her mother the ornithologist taught her about this bird the um Hoatzin bird, which uh-huh. apparently is found near open waters. So she knew to listen for this bird and follow it to go to the open water. And if you were to wade downstream of like a small stream, it will open up to a bigger stream or a bigger body of water. And chances are civilization will exist on water streams. Close to the bottom. Bu- yeah, to water. makes sense. So she's walking. Um, she found, before she left, she found candy from the airplane near her. And that candy, she, it was the only thing she had to eat for 10 days. Oh, my God. So she's wading downstream in knee Because there's nothing to, like, she harvest knows, in yeah, a rainforest. At one point, she talks about Bugs? trying to eat a frog, but being too weak to catch the frog. But it was good because the frog is poisonous, and she it would have killed her. Oh, so, but she, probably a fun way to go because I bet you hallucinate. Yeah. <laughs> go, go. <laughs> <laughs> For all those ornithologists out there, that's a peacock. Um, she obviously she's in the middle of a rainforest. It is hot and rainy and wet during the day, and at night it's pretty darn cold. Four days into her journey, she stumbles upon the first dead bodies of the flight she sees don't be her mom it's not her mom she sees a row of three people and they're still strapped in and they went face first into the ground with such force that they were two feet into the ground whoa she knew there were dead bodies nearby because there was a king vulture who she heard who she knows that like 
they don't come unless there's a lot of fucking food. Mm-hmm. And she went over and she was like, is this my mom? She checked and the women had painted toenails. And she's like, no, it's not my mom. My mom never had painted toenails. This was four days in. That's how spread out everything was that she found them. She saw that it wasn't her mother and she was relieved and then immediately felt ashamed of how she felt about that. Yeah. Um, well, that's human. Totally. Cut yourself a fucking break. So she talks about how she's wading this river. So she went, obviously, up to her knees, was wading. Or if there were piranhas, what she did is she went in the middle of the stream and she just floated down it so to avoid it. She talks about how she saw crocodiles who were looking at her and how she was fine because she knew crocodiles very seldom ate people. Her, By the way, her injuries were getting worse in that in her open injury in her arm she saw there were maggots forming and they were eating her skin. Oh, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. And she was like, if this doesn't mm. kill me, that will. So what she did is finally, she she was losing a lot of strength. She fell asleep on the side of the river, and as soon as she came to, she noticed there was, like, a boat nearby. So she went to the boat, and no one was there. But what she did is she saw there was like a little straw or something. And she saw her dad had done this with their dog who had an injury that had maggots in it. And what she did is she sucked out the diesel petroleum gasoline and she put it in her arm. And she said the pain was agonizing, but the maggots dispersed and she was able to get them out. So they hate gas. They hate gas. So they came to the surface. And so she was able to pick them off and, and and discard them. Oh, my God. So she talks about how she didn't want to steal the boat. Yeah. So there was a little shack nearby. So she ended up going to a shack. And she was falling asleep. And she was like, I guess I'll stay here another day. I'll rest. And this is when she was trying to catch the frogs because she just needed food. She knew Mm -hmm. she was super weak. By the way, she's 17 years old in case it's not clear. Um, The next morning, she hears these voices and they're these local fishermen. And she said she describes them as having angel voices, is what she heard. Mm-hmm. Um, when they came upon her, they see this really blonde, light-skinned person who has bloodshot eyes, who's clearly a mess. Um, and they thought it was a local legend of a water goddess who's, like, b- half blonde, half, like, freshwater dolphin, light-skinned woman it's um, a pretty low bar for goddess, but very okay. Very low bar, but she speaks very good Spanish, obviously. She's fluent in it. It's her language. And um, so she explains to them what's happening. So they bring her, they feed her, they bring her to a local village. Um, and they that's where she gets her first medical attention. And then a local pilot flies her, fifteen like a 15-minute flight, a quick flight, to finally meet her father. She talked about how that first flight was, like, fucking intense. Yeah. They're um, like, do you want to get back on a plane? Do you want to get She's back like, on a plane? is there any other? It's going to be a no for me, dog. Um, she talks about seeing her dad and how they didn't say anything. He just hugged her. Yeah. Um, so sad. After she went to the doctor and recovered from her injuries, she went back and helped search parties locate the wreckage and identify bodies. They finally found her mother's body on January 12th, 1972. So about, you know, two and a half weeks later. 
what's really sad about her mom is that they see that her mom did survive initially and then died a couple of days later. Mm. She talks about how... She died of her injuries? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or she succumbed to, like, the elements of the rainforest, right? I mean, she might... I don't... They didn't explain what her injuries were. Right. Um, but the fact that her mother survived for a couple days... It's is, a miracle. It's totally a miracle. And, and she feels really awful about what her mother's last final days were, you know? And she talks also about how she was kind of... It was good that she didn't have any other survivors near her because it probably would have made her stay put. And it actually probably would have... She needed to keep moving. She needed to keep yeah. moving. To were there her. any other survivors of that crash? No. Just her? She is the sole survivor of a... Ni- 91 people were on that plane. Holy she is the shit. the only survivor. Yeah. Whoa. Um... When she recovered, she went and helped them go through the wreckage. And eventually, she moved to Germany, and she studied biology like her parents. Um, her father sold the rights to her story to a German new magazine. Um, that was mentioned very Should have held out for, like, HBO, no? Totally. Um, the I'm confused. About, I mean, I guess, like, if someone's going to make money off of it, Fuck yeah. So, but she was immediately famous, right? Like, she became. Of course. It's a crazy story. It's insane. It's fucking nuts. But she didn't want the instant fame, you know? And, and with that, well, she no, talks. She and, probably just wants a normal life and wants her fucking mom. She like, wants her mom back. She wants this never to happen. Totally. I, mean, I think what's interesting is she's, in these interviews, she's so clear headed. And it actually was a commentary about how it's like, how are you doing so well? Because therapy wasn't a thing back then. Uh-huh. Like, now if this happened to someone, we'd have mental health professionals come and help and, like, identify and have to, you know, like, that would be a part of the healing process, I think today as opposed to what it was like in the 70s but she seems really level-headed and Mm -hmm. very clear um however she could be she talks about how the grief was postponed you know because she came back and it was this whirlwind of media and people writing her letters and all this stuff where it was like her grief was just delayed for her mother in such a profound way so she uh there are. She did write an autobiography called When I Fell from the Sky, which was written in 2011. There is a film called Miracles Still Happen. It's an Italian film. Um, that came out in 1974. Um, and then there's a documentary called Wings of Hope, which was made in 1998, which has her revisit the spot of the plane crash years later. Um, and it's a documentary by this guy, Werner Herzog. Do you know that guy? Yeah. Here's the craziest thing about Werner Herzog. How do you know him? What has he done? A bunch of stuff. Thank you. I don't know. I knew he looked important. I didn't look him up because you know what? It's not about you, Werner. (laughs) But I will say the craziest thing is that Werner Herzog was scheduled to be on that exact same flight. Oh, no way. But because of scheduling changes, he was not. He was like seven hours late. You know what? I'm good. I'll come back to the airport tomorrow. So she's now a librarian who studies bats. Great. Love that for her. Um, And Lance of Flight 508 is in the Guinness Book of World Records for the highest death toll um, in an aircraft that's caused by lightning. And after this plane crash, Lance went under. They no longer exist as a... Seems about right. Yeah. This was like their, Stop giving out those half sandwiches. They had like a couple of wrecks before this. This was like not their first one. 
Um, <laughs> oh my god! It's like not Are a you great crazy? look. Not a great look for wow. the airline, you know. Um, but yeah, she survived. What an amazing story! In first plane story that yeah. we had. And the fact is, is she's like, I don't know. And she's not a spiritual religious person, but she's like, I don't know why I survived. I don't know how I survived. I don't know why. Like, I don't know how that happened. It's like such a mystery of how right. you fall from two, two miles. miles. Fucking insane in the GD membrane. Well, Ugh. that was a wild ride. Thanks for going on it with me. Um, we're not ready to unbuckle our... No. You can't do it. I guess it's just nope. to say, stay buckled in is what I'm learning about that. It's like she was fucking buckled yeah, I never fuck buckle in. even when the light's on. I never buckle. What? It's just, you know why? How do you not get in trouble? I never buckle because I'm always like... You're a rule it's breaker. It's an airplane. But no, but to me, I'm like... It's one or the other. Like, we're all going to die <laughs> if something's wrong. But it's not like you're going to stop short. No, but if there's turbulence <laughs> and you, like, lift off, you could hurt your head. Like, you can... There's, Bang like, secondary injuries. The best thing my uncle said... My uncle's so funny. Anyway, my uncle was <laughs> on the flight with my sister. And I guess he, like, took some of her money to buy booze on it because he's a fun uncle. He's a good-time guy. And at one point he was like, hey, Kristen... Do you know this position? You talk about the brace yourself position where you put your head in between your knees. He goes, do you know what they call this? She was like, what, Uncle Jerry? He's like, kiss your ass goodbye. Oh, dark and true. But funny. Yeah. Real funny. I love Uncle Jerry. He's the best. All right, moving on. Oh, so pregnant. <laughs> okay. Whew, I need to have a lie down. This story comes to you straight from... WKYC Studios, which had a great story of, um, it's the Indiana Possession or Real Life Exorcism. Ugh. The Indie Star, which uh, called this the Gary Demon House, and the Skeptical Inquirer, which calls this the 200 Demons House, and USA Today Strange Events, uh, USA and USA Today, the title of that article was Strange Events lead family to resort to exorcism. So now I've given you context. I've given you... The clues are more coming in. I, I, I want nothing more. Powerful clues. but this I would is, say you gave us answers as opposed to clues on that one. This is the story of the Amons family uh, and what happened to them in the November uh, of 2011. They move into a rental house on Carolina Street in Gary, Indiana. Gary, Indiana. Indiana. It's Latoya Amons is who's living there with her mama, Rosa Campbell, and her three kids. Her kids are 7, 9, and 12 at the time. Now the first whoa, whoa, whoa weird thing that happens is a bunch of black flies swarm the house, swarm the screen porch and it's did i mention winter it's like locusts it's like fucking plague yeah but style. it's also the, just the wrong season yeah. for them so everyone's like uh this is weird candles that smell like pine trees season not black fly season that's a good black fly candle from bed bath and beyond or bath and body works is very good they do what you do they fly swat them they Do just they have keep the ones that back. are the electric ones where it's like the tennis racket where it's like, 
<laughs> no, it's the kind that looked like a cute flip-flop on a stick is what I was picturing. Fun. Yeah. But they just keep coming back. And uh, after midnight, a lot of nights, the Grandma Campbell and Mama Amons say that they can hear footsteps climbing the basement in the house and that they even hear a creak of the door open, which is between the basement and the kitchen. So Mm -mm. extra spookies. Mm -mm. Put some WD-40 on that. No one's there. They go check it out. One night, though, the grandma says she sees a shadowy figure of someone pacing in the living room and she runs into the living room and no one's there, but she can see large, wet boot boot prints. March 10th, 2012 so now we're going into the next year it's about 2 a.m and the family's actually all awake this night because they were mourning the death of someone with a group of friends and they hear yelling coming from the 12 year old's room she was staying in there with a friend of hers and they go into the room and the 12 year old girl is levitating above the bed unconscious oh my god yes So they surround her and they start praying and freaking out. And then eventually she descends back onto the bed and wakes up and has no memory of what happened. The people that were all with them that saw this happen are like, we're good. We're not going to come back to your house ever. It's a way to lose friends. So the family, when this happens, is like, it's a little more than the flies. I think we need some help. We need to talk to someone that knows what to do. So they're calling churches and telling churches about this, and no one really, like, believes them. Mm-hmm. But one church is like, oh, that Carolina Street house has spirits in it. We think you need to just, like, clean. Like, get a really good house cleaner. Use some bleach and ammonia. Use some, um, you, you know what you can do? You can take oil, and you can draw some crosses. Maybe, like, outside of doors and on each other. So Amons is like, terrific. Get some oil. She's making, like, oil crosses on her kids' heads and hands and feet or whatever. Oh, yeah. Um, They also reach out to a couple clairvoyants, like you do. Yeah. And the clairvoyants are like, oh, yeah. this There's 200 demons in here. Which I'm like, that's a huge number. Like, did they individually count them or were they just, like... Just to get my point across, I want to say there's 200 demons. It's like demons. the game where you have to guess how many M&Ms are in the container. It's like, how many demons are in this house? Yes, that's what it feels like. It feels like they like, the clairvoyants stood outside the house and were like, 200? I don't know, 200? <laughs> Gotta go. Like, yeah. And they put their answer in a jar and were like, <laughs> get back to us if I was closest. Would we win? Yes. Um, so they tell the Amons, you should probably move. But they don't have a lot of money. They, yeah. they just got this. That's... It takes a lot of... Everyone knows it takes a lot of fucking money to move. Gary, Indiana is like a very underprivileged area in Indiana. Is that so? Yeah. Michael Jackson is born there. Fascinating. They're like, we can't move. Got any other hot tips? And they're like, why don't you build an altar in the basement? And so they're like, cool, we'll do that. These are throwing out weird suggestions. These are... These like feel like unfocused suggest. It, it feels like busy work for this poor family. I don't want to say it came out the way. It, it, here's the thing. I'm unfocused right now. That's fair. Like you know, my back hurts. I'm a little sleepy. So I think fair. um, I'm maybe I'm not doing the clear. Maybe the clairvoyants were like, here's what you must do. You must build an altar. Like they could have been that way. I'm just too tired to tell it like that. Okay. So. Well, imagine, dear readers, put whatever you want on it. Moving on. Put the tone aside. You know. 
Um, I don't. I want to be fair to the clairvoyance, for God's sakes. So <laughs> they burn uh, sage and sulfur throughout the house. They're doing their crosses. They're making. Uh, they're doing that thing where you like raise candles to make a smoke cross. Uh, they're reading psalms. Uh, especially, I read. Uh, they read Psalm ninety-one. Ah, it's a good one. It's a good one. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. All right, so they do all that, and it seems to be pretty good. Nothing happens for a couple days, but then, what dun happens? dun dun, things get worse. The kids start acting weird. They start acting like they're not themselves. They start doing, are you ready for this? No, but okay. Creepy smiles. Aren't you already creeped? The kids' creepy smiles and weird deep voices. Ugh. Like classic horror movie shit. Classic, classic, classic haunting. And Mama Amons is like, I think I'm being possessed. I feel lightheaded all the time. I feel weak. My body starts shaking. I feel completely out of control. So whatever's in the house seems to be going into them. If there's 200 demons, there's room to go around. The seven-year-old boy sits in a closet by himself talking to another little boy that isn't there. Um, They also see him one day just fly the fuck out of the bathroom like somebody threw him. So they're getting injuries. The nine-year-old's weirdly talking about what it feels like to get killed. The girl gets hurt by somehow uh, a headboard hits her in the head and she needs stitches from it. So the kids are getting, like, badly hurt. And when she goes to the doctor, she says she sometimes feels like she's being choked or held down so that she can't speak or move. And she hears voices uh, say that she's never going to see her family again. Oh, my God. Or that she's going to die. It's getting so bad that I told you they're broke, but some nights, man, they just beat it and they, like, go sleep at a hotel to catch a fucking break. In April, so it's been another month, they go to uh, this doctor, Jeffrey Oniukwu. I'm going to call him Dr. Jeff. So Dr. Jeff is like, they're, they're calling him. They're like, can you come by? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll come by. But he's a little scared. I mean, what they're telling yeah. him, he's like, I don't really want to come visit you. But then he goes and visits them. And the notes that he takes say things like delusions of ghost in home and hallucinations. And he uh, writes delusional and history of ghosts. So he's kind of taking these notes that they're not painting a picture of like he's seen weird stuff. They're painting a picture of. These people are cuckoo. Okay. What happens next, he observes, and he tells, I believe, the Department of Child Services, and okay. it goes in a report. So we know this because it's in the a Child Services document. report, a yeah. public document. A case manager made this report after having interviews with the doctor and his medical staff. So what happened is the sons curse him, Dr. Jeff, in their creepy voices with their creepy smiles and they kind of start to go nuts on him. He sees the youngest get lifted up into the air and fly into a wall with nobody touching him. Ugh, don't like that. Then he passes out. Don't like that. So someone from the doctor's office calls 911 and like eight police officers and ambulances show up. Nobody can figure out what the fuck is happening. They... Take the kids and they're like, let's go to the hospital. 
They go to Methodist Hospital in Gary and the kids wake up at the hospital and the older boy is like acting normal now, even though he was acting kind of possessed before. And the youngest is still acting pretty weird. He's screaming. He's like thrashing around. Um, And it's like Olympic level thrashing. Like I read that it took like five men to hold him down. Wow. So while all this is going on, they call DCS, the Department of Child Services, They're like, we don't know what's going on, but these kids need help. So you should look into this for maybe there's some abuse happening and these kids are acting out. Because what the fuck would you think, right? Totally. So they're like, the mom might be mentally ill. And so the DCS comes and they're like, yeah, we think the mom's mentally ill and these kids are lashing out. What they're doing is they're trying to please their mother. So her narrative of like... So it's like almost like Munchausen by proxy, except yes, it's like... Yes, but okay. possession by proxy. So okay. it's like the mom is giving them maybe... In, is encouraging this behavior. Right. Where they're doing right by her by acting like they're possessed. Do you feel like there's weight in that? Hmm. I'm not sure what happens... I go back and forth with this. So the they get a family case manager, Valerie Washington, and she's supposed to handle this initial investigation. And sh- there's an account from her intake report that says that the hospital examined the mom, Amons, and her kids and said they're all healthy and that the kids don't have, like, marks or bruises right. as though she's beating them or doing anything. A psychiatrist evaluates the mom and says she's of sound mind. Valerie sits down with the mom and the seven-year-old starts like growling at her and showing his teeth. And then his eyes roll back in his head and he runs over and starts choking his brother and they take him off his brother. Oh, my God. And Valerie, the caseworker, is like, I want to be alone without the mom. The grandma can stay, right. but I want to be just with these boys and, like, a nurse is in there and the grandma's in there. And the seven-year-old starts to stare at his brother and growl again, and he says, it's time to die. I will kill you. And then the older one headbutts his grandma in the stomach, and she's, like, grabbing his hands and trying to pray they're trying to control these two boys. Oh and my Valerie God. writes in the DCS report, which this was all corroborated by the nurse that was there, that the nine-year-old boy gets a weird grin on his face and then walks backward up a wall to the ceiling. No. He, like, walks back up the wall and flips and lands on his feet, like, does a flip over his grandma, like... No. Picture like Showtime though. No, like it's I not don't like it's doing not these clear stories it, like, at night. <laughs> it does not clear if it like defies gravity. It's like feels like he could have been doing like Showtime acrobatic style, but backwards. But then when Valerie goes to describe it, she's like, "No, it wasn't like he walked. It was like he glided." And she and the nurse fucking run out of the room, and the nurse says, "We didn't know what was going on. It was crazy. It was like." Everybody gotta go. That's what she said. <laughs> and I love that. Because that's the... That's yes. just the truth of the situation. <laughs> like, amen. So... Oh, my God. 
they tell the doctor and the doctor's like asks the kid to do it again. And he's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even remember doing that. So they don't know what to do, but they do take custody of the kids. No. Yeah. Um, without a court order, they're just like, we've got to do this. All these kids are distressed. There's some sort of something happening on and the kids are in danger. Yeah. But Amon's the mom is like, we have been through so much the last few months. We need to be together. Like, please don't take us. Uh-huh. Don't pull us apart. All right. Let's go forward to 420. Sure. Reverend Michael Maganot gets a call from the hospital chaplain. Right. The hospital chaplain calls him and says, will you perform an exorcism on the nine-year-old son? He's the one that just walked up the wall. And the reverend is like, look, I don't know. Reverend, people are weird about giving exorcisms. They're not willy-nilly. So he's like, uh, let me talk to them. I want to rule out <laughs> anything else first. Yeah, all these professionals have seen him, and it's like, let's add. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he visits them. And while he's visiting them, he's talking to the grandma and the mom, and the grandma's like, do you see that flickering bathroom light? And he's like, yeah. And he keeps going over to the bathroom while he's interviewing them in their home. And every time he gets close to the bathroom, the light stops flickering. And he's kind of like, maybe, maybe it's a demonic presence and it senses me and it's scared of me. And they're like, look, do you see the blinds in our window? They're moving and no windows are open. So they, they're Ooh, they're pointing out weird things. They're, they're showing him uh, footprints, wet footprints that are show up in the living room like during the their interview. And then the mom gets a really bad headache during the interview and he places a crucifix against her and she kind of like convulses, like seems to react. It's a four hour interview. It's long as fuck. And at the end, the reverend's like, I do think that there's demons and shit involved. So I'm going to bless the house. I'm going to throw some holy water here and there. And I'm going to get the fuck out of here. And I'm going to suggest you do the same. You should move in with somebody like get out of here. But they're like, we actually have to stay because we need DCS is going to come back and look at our home because right. they're we're still trying to get these kids back. Right. So Valerie, their caseworker, comes to their home. She shows up with three police officers and they say, like, you're like, why? Because there's like the mom and the grandma. Mm-hmm. But I guess the police officers heard what was going on. And I think it was just they were like, like, we want to see what's up. Totally. They were like, can we come? So... <laughs> The mom is like, I don't even really want to hang out at the house, but the grandma goes and shows them around and they find the shrine in the basement, the like altar thing It has like a salt circle around it. And the grandma is telling the officers, the demons we think come from the basement or the beneath these stairs and they're interviewing her. And during their interview, their recorders malfunction the batteries start to die but they had put fresh batteries in right before they went into the house and another officer that's Ugh. recording audio hears an unknown voice on the audio just whisper hey no 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 i don't like yeah, this it's i know an, i don't like this they take pictures and this like one of the scary. pictures of the basement stairs has a sort of cloudy image in it where they're like, what is that? And they enlarge it and the cloud looks more and more like a face when they enlarge it. They also take iPhone pics and they see weird shit in them like shadows or silhouettes maybe. 
Um, and then they leave and the police radio malfunctions when they leave. And then one of them gets home and his garage won't open. It's like all this electric stuff is all fucked up. His driver's seat in his car is like one of those electric seats and it keeps moving back and forth by itself on its own. No, no. And so the cops are like, we maybe. shouldn't have fucking gone. Well, they're like, maybe. But DCS is like, mm, we're not sure. So they petition for temporary wardship of the kids, and it's granted. The reason it's granted isn't because of all this, like, isn't because of one way or another on this. It's because during all this possession stuff that's been going on with them, all this demon garbage, they keep having to miss school. Right. So it's because of how many days they're missing and stuff, they're allowed to take the kids away. Right. So the youngest is sent to Christian Haven for psychiatric evaluation, and there's a clinical psychologist that says, oh, I think that this boy is acting possessed when he's challenged, when he's um, asked questions he doesn't want to answer or something. Okay. Then he's using it. He doesn't have a psychotic disorder. He's using this as a tool. Um, and she's, she wrote, this appears to be an unfortunate and sad case of a child who has been induced into a delusional system perpetrated by his mother and potentially reinforced by other relatives. Okay. The clinical psychologist that evaluates the daughter comes to a similar conclusion and says, there also appears to be a need to assess the extent to which she may be unduly influenced by her mother's concerns that the family was exposed to paranormal experiences. So again, they're like, it's the mom making the kids think this is happening. But the mom keeps getting examined and they keep saying she doesn't have anything wrong with her, including any kind of psychosis. All of them during this time continue to insist that they have been possessed or are being possessed by demons. But the mom really wants her kids back, obviously, so she starts doing whatever it is they want her to do. You know, work on the house, get a job, whatever it is. She's just, like, wants her kids back. In the meantime, they do keep investigating the house. The grandma, the mom, the three officers that came to that first visit, Mm -hmm. two more officers, the reverend, and a new DCS worker named Samantha all go into the house in May. It's Samantha now, not Valerie, because Valerie... She said, fuck ...did not want to go back. So... I don't blame Valerie. They go to the hot spot, which is like that basement area. And they dig a hole, because they're like, maybe something weird's buried. What do they find? Pink press-on fingernail. Pair of panties. Political pin. Lid for a cooking pan. Socks. Candy wrappers. And a weight for a drapery cord. So, a bunch of garbage, essentially. That's all they find. Samantha is later standing in the living room with everybody and her pinky starts to feel weird. It starts to tingle and then turn white. And then she's like, I think it's broken. And she starts to have a panic attack and she's like, I have to leave. So she leaves. Samantha's pinky? Yeah. She's just standing there, the DCS worker. And she has like a panic attack and leaves. Oh my God. One of the cops there is similarly and soon after it also leaves and the other cops stay and they say that they find an oil kind of like substance dripping from the venetian blinds but they can't figure out where it's coming from so they clean the blinds 
and then they leave and seal the room and they go back later and it's back. The reverend is like, well, that's the demons, basically. Right. So he's convinced that they do need the exorcism at this point. He asked the bishop permission. Um, What did the bishop say? The bishop has not given permission for an exorcism in 21 years. And he denies this. Okay. So he's like, no, but you know what you should do? I love this. It's so true um, of, like, how the, the world actually works. He's like, um, you know what? You should talk to other priests. You should look it up online. Maybe there's, like, a ritual you can do. I'm not going to, like, grant the exorcism, but maybe there's, like, something you can do. And so he's like, okay. So he does. He looks it up online, and he's, like, writing down his notes, gets his prayers, and tries to learn uh, online how he's going to cast out these demons. Right, right, right. Just Google it. Or ask Jeeves. The cops and Samantha are like, we'll watch this. And Samantha says that while this was happening, while he performs this online exorcism, she says, we felt like someone was in the room, someone breathing down your neck. And they read that calling the demons out by name is really good. So the mom and her friend look up the demons' names. How do they do that? They're sort of like searching for things that the demons have done to them or problems that the demons' names would represent. And while they're looking up these things, the computer keeps shutting down. Holy shit. So scary. At this time, the mom and the grandma have moved. They end up moving back to Indianapolis. But they drive back to do these exorcisms with this guy. Right. And they have to drive back for the court hearings because her children are still uh, in DCS care. So they do these initial exorcisms. And then after this first exorcism... Or maybe that was two exorcisms. The bishop finally does tell the reverend, you know what? You can do the exorcism, which is the same thing. He's just going to do the same stuff, but it's believed to be more powerful with the backing of the Catholic Church. Okay. He ends up doing three exorcisms total on the family. Jesus Christ. The mom says she feels as if there was something inside her trying to hold on to her and inflict pain. And... That it felt so intense physically that it was as bad as giving birth. Oh, shit. Yeah. Which is, I'll tell you, that's... That's no joke. That ain't no picnic. Then the Reverend needs to leave town. And so I think it's like in a scary movie where he's like, I'm going out of town. Will you be okay? And everyone's like, no, like you can't leave town. So he's like, okay, here's what I'll do. My assistant will be here. And he has her right... A demonic name, one of the powerful demons, down on a piece of paper, put it in an envelope and surround the envelope in salt. And while he's out of town, he's like, just call her if there's a problem. And the mom does call and says, I'm having still really bad dreams, like something's trying to get back in. Mm -hmm. And so the assistant's like, I'll do what the reverend told me. And she burns the envelope. And then the dreams go away. At this point, the mom actually stops having issues after all these exorcisms. And she is able to even regain custody of her kids in November 2012. So a year after it started. A year after all this started, yeah. yeah. Um, And that's like six months after the kids were taken. DCS keeps checking on them. Charles Reed is the landlord of the house on Carolina Street. Right. And they, of course, move out. But he says he ended up having to call the police to tell the police to stop stopping outside the house 
because he was getting new tenants that were freaked out because the cops would like drive up and like stop like you do when you see a car accident or something. Yeah, of course. They were just like, what's going on in there? But it was scaring the person that lived there. Of course it was. And he's like, this landlord's like, there were no problems before this family. There were no problems after. For Amons and her kids, they all say they felt better after they left. DCS wrote in their report, the family is no longer fixated solely on religion to explain or cope with the children's behavior issues. But the mom says... DCS wants to, like, blame psychology or give psychology um, credit for fixing this. I don't credit psychology. I credit God. Zach Baggins has, like, a ghost hunter show. Yeah. He ends up buying the house in 2014 for $35,000, and he demolishes it two years later. So it's like that shit's It's toast. Wow. And that's the story of the Amons case. Wow. That's a wild tale. Isn't it? Because I think what also just makes it interesting is um, How it's much really is hard to research. outside of, like, the there's family. There's so many different witnesses, and there's stuff written in police reports, and there's stuff written in the child uh, yes. welfare reports. And what's interesting about it all is that the people that wrote about this case... The mom was the one that gave them access to a lot of the right. reports, and she was willingly giving them access to reports that call her crazy, that say she was the one behind it, that say she was delusional. She's giving them access to all this stuff. So it's like this what thing where she she's like, here's hide. the story. Yeah. Like, she's not embarrassed by it. it. Totally. It doesn't seem. And she's like, this is something that happened to me. And she, yeah. to this day, maintains it. God bless. But I think it's also an interesting story because when you see the movies about uh, scary movies about possession and stuff like that, this is an interesting point of like what would really happen, which is to say everyone wants there to be a rational explanation, of course. And if something like this is happening and there's kids involved, it is like a reality check that, of course, child services gets involved. And of course, they're like, yeah. Well, Why like, is this kid acting me, it's like, like this? The physical feats and the corroboration by people. And mm-hmm. the like weirdly okay, the thing that got me was the middle child walking up, gliding backwards up off a wall. And, and the caseworker and the nurse were the ones to witness it with the grandma. The mom wasn't in the room. Yeah, or like the woman the the person whose pinky just broke. Yeah. And the police car with the seats going up and back. So scary. Fuck I mean, there's that. just all these other people that are like, well, this was weird. Fuck that. I don't want to go home. I mean, I'm going to have to go home tonight, but like, I don't, I now know why we do this you during the day. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay, stay here. here. I'm kidding. You can totally stay here. Know, you know, you can always so stay here. You're always allowed to stay here. Sorry if I scared the pants off you. Luckily, I'm wearing a jumpsuit, so it was it's basically so like, long to take it, off. It's, it's so long, and it basically just like built-in suspenders. Too involved. Too involved, and I'm not interested in doing it. Dear readers, we love you. Calm down. You don't need to give them that much. But we'd love you more if you joined Patreon. Yeah, that's better. Okay. Hold something over it. Yeah. You know, make it play. Play a little. People like it when you play a little hard, hard to, to get. get. That's why I'm single. <laughs> <laughs>